We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by co-host Nick Filato. And today we're going to talk more draft. That's how it is. We're getting close. Uh, the time of recording this, we're two weeks away from the draft. Wow, it came fast this year. I don't know if you're probably not going to hear this, and it will be two weeks away from the draft because we just have a backload of podcasts that we're scheduling out because we're grinding over here. But we're getting there. And so today what we wanted to do is Break down a recent article that Nick put out on Big Blue View, and it was ten players that he's con- that he's higher on the con- than the consensus big boards. And now, Nick will explain exactly what that means in a moment. But fear not, we will also be doing a My Guys podcast. This will be much later in the process, maybe the week of the draft, where Nick and I break down the players who are our guys in this class. Now that may mean. There are guys for the Giants, or it may just mean there are guys in general. But these are the players that were much higher on the consensus. So this is similar to that, but there's going to be players named on that podcast that were named on this. But there's also going to be majority of the players named on that pod that probably won't be named on this. So it's like a bonus My Guys pod today, even though it's just Nick's guys, and we're going to go over them. And so that's where we're at. So Nick, what's going on? Nothing, man. So I want to make this clear. This is based, this article that I wrote for Big Blue View, it's based on a 2023 consensus big board that is compiled by NFLMockDraftDatabase.com. And they compile like 134 big boards, over a thousand first round mock drafts, about a thousand team-based type of mock drafts, and it changes daily. So you might hear this now, and then the player that we're going over might be higher on that list. I'm not 100% sure, but this isn't necessarily what scouts are saying or even just what the big draft wigs are saying either. This is a big consensus board, and I was just basing on guys that I like relative towards that board. But Dan, I had something for you, man. I ended up checking out Pizza Bianco out here in Arizona. A oh. listener told me about it months ago, and I wish I remembered exactly who it was to give them credit. And I was like, oh, let me try this out. This was my third time attempting to go to this place. It's very exclusive. You're talking about three-hour waits, four-hour waits. We went at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we only waited an hour. And they actually just opened up a Colombian restaurant right across the way at Heritage Square from it. So we went and got empanadas first there, which was excellent. But I got to tell you, man, look, I'm all about – Obviously, I'm Italian. I like the Italian environment, the family-oriented type of pizzeria atmosphere. This place did not have that whatsoever. Like the waitress told us, like, "Hey, you can only order now." So, is this the only pie that you're gonna get? And I didn't really like that. That kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. And I thought the 
the food was like it was solid pizza, but to be honest with you, the pizza in my hometown is much better. And I get it, this is Arizona, but this is the premier Arizona location that everyone talks about. And I don't really felt I didn't feel like it lived up to the hype, bro. Wow. Bougie pizza. I think Portnoy reviewed it on Barstool. I think he gave it a high grade if I remember, but I don't love the bouginess of that. I agree with you. Pizza is not supposed to be about bouginess. It's supposed to be about the actual product. And I wonder, is it it's the coal? Is it the coal fire based pizza? What kind of pizza was it? Like a margarita style? Yeah, it was coal okay. fire. But, yeah, so it's yeah. like that. It is my style. Like if personally, I'm a huge believer in thin crust, crispy, coal fired style pizza. But I'm kind of with you. I feel like we'll see. Maybe I'll try it when I'm out there next time. Maybe, maybe not. That doesn't sound like it based on that experience. It sounds like you're not going back anytime soon, uh, to be completely honest. But I don't like the bouginess of it either. So look, dude, I, I think it was fine pizza, but for the weight. You know, I, you know, it's, it's okay. Weight is a big factor for you. You are not a fan of waiting for anything in life, my friend. Well, when you make something exclusive, you expect yes. it to be like the best of something. And when it's not the best of something, that's a letdown. It adds too much to the hype. I mean, there's been very few things in life that have been hyped to me that actually lived up to the hype. I'll be honest. That's like a, that's a big thing. When you're trying to tell someone about something, don't overhype it because you're only digging a hole for yourself. There's only been one thing in life that's been hyped to me as the best sandwich I'll ever have in America. And it lived up to the hype. And that's the Nick's roast pork, uh, with the broccoli rob and the sharp probe in, in Reading Terminal. That's the only thing that's ever lived up to the hype. So, and Franklin's barbecue. I should stop saying that. Franklin's barbecue in Austin also lived up to the hype. That, to be honest, there's been a lot of things that actually have lived up to the hype. So I don't know why I went on that little thing. Because actually, the more I think about it, some things have. But the point is, when it doesn't and when it falls short, it's devastating. Like, there's no, like, now a, an experience that could have been decent for you or solid for you becomes bad because. It was hyped hard. You waited an hour. The waitress is kind of pissy with you. So those things, not good. But let's move on to Giants football. Let's move on to your 10 players from uh, – and by the way, I just want to say this. I like how you did this. I think it's better to go with a bunch of consensus mocks. You get a huge sample size to work with. So I think when we do our My Guys, we'll also probably use a consensus mock board because I think it's, a, again, a bigger sample size, better sample size because of it. So let's get into one player. And I know these aren't ranked in any order like best value here, second best value, third best value, or anything like that. But let's get into maybe the first player you want to talk about who, again, these are Nick Filato's. 10 players that he thinks are that he's higher on the consensus board. First, I want to start because there are a couple outliers on this mm. board, right? And I was thinking about this draft just in general, Dan. There's a lot of outliers that I'm considering more than usual. I'm typically like, look, if you're an outlier, if you're like Wando Robinson and you have Tyrannosaurus Rex type of arms, I'm not overly interested. But then it kind of got me thinking this draft class has very good football players who happen to be outliers. So many outliers in this draft, Dan, that I think Malcolm Gladwell is going to be forced to write a sequel. You start right there with Bryce Young, Nolan Smith, the yeah. edge runner from Georgia, Emmanuel Forbes, a Mississippi State corner that I absolutely love, Kalijah Kansi, who I love, the defensive lineman out of Pitt. Like basically all the these higher top, top of the wide receiver class. The entire top of the wide receiver. Every good receiver in this class is insanely small. <laughs> Except for JSN and Quinton Johnston. Yeah. And then you have, Hellman. yeah, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, uh, Ladanian Tomlinson. Oh, yeah. He's another one from TCU, even though he had like 14 penalties this past year, but a very good 
boundary corner. Kind of reminded me of Darnay Holmes, to be honest, because he's going to be forced into the slot a little bit feistier. Maybe Darnay Holmes was at UCLA back in what was that 2020. But there's just a lot of players. Tank Dell, Charlie Jones, Nick Hampton, who will be on this list, not to spoil it. And even like a Peter Skaronsky at offensive tackle. Yeah. People are like, can he play offensive tackles? Like, dude, his feet are good enough to play offensive tackle, but he has short, like 32 inch arms. Right. Like, how is that going to translate? So I just found it kind of fascinating how many good players there were in this draft class that are outliers that I'm looking at for the Giants. And I'm like, I get Joe Shane took two last year in the top 100, but I'm not going to be pissed off if he goes and he selects some of these other outliers in this game. That is, yes, big people, they control this game, but speed is in vogue right now through mm-hmm. the NFL. And some of these players like Emmanuel Forbes, for instance, he's a player, Dan, to me that I watched this tape and I'm not seeing him getting bitched around. He's not tentative at all in run support. So I'm like, how much is that 166 pounds affected him in college? Because I didn't really see it. Yeah, it'll affect him right. a little bit in the NFL, but can he grow into that? Right. And that's a great question. That's going to have to answer about a lot of these players. And I think the outlier side of this, we could do a whole podcast on this. We're not going to, but yeah. we could do a whole podcast on this. There's a lot to talk about. And I think this draft lends itself even more so to drafting outliers because from this standpoint, from the size standpoint, because this isn't a planet theory draft, to be honest. And I'm a big planet theory guy, but this is I don't find many planet theory guys like you look at this wide receiver class, man. I think this is a a crappy wide receiver class at the top. When you really like take a step back and think of who we've had in the past at the top of receiver class, Devontae Smith's Jalen Waddles, the Jamar Chase is like the complete package guys with the frame, with the length, with the hands, with the speed, with the film. There's just nothing like that in this entire class. The closest thing I guess is Jordan Addison, but he's 173 pounds. So it's like, how is that? That's not a thing. No, that's not a close thing because 173 doesn't usually work at the NFL. People say, oh, what about Devontae Smith? Devontae Smith's film versus Jordan Addison's film is an entirely different story. You're talking about like a different tier of player, in my opinion. Would you agree with that on Smith versus Addison? Not even close. So, So it's like when I think about those things, at times I do wonder, like for me, I would actually be quite okay nick if the first receiver the giants took was on day three i swear to god in this class like i don't need it i don't need it and another thing about devonta smith that's always lost is he has like 70 percentile wingspan with 32 yeah. inch arms so he has like long skinny spider type of arms how much does he pluck away from his frame that's and make yep. like contested catches even though he's like 160 whatever high point he high points him like he's he's a different He's a different type of anomaly. And it's just like, can these other outliers be like a Devonta Smith in the sense of just having immediate NFL success? And I'm not even just talking about the wide receiver position. I'm talking about a Kalijah Kansi. I love Kalijah Kansi. But people are like, yeah, Aaron Donald, Pitt, all this other stuff. Aaron Donald had like what? Like, I don't have it in front of me, like 34-inch arms or something. Kalijah Kansi has like 31-inch arms. That is a complete outlier. And it will affect him at the next level. But you know he's predicated, his skill set at least, on winning one-on-one battles with his hands with his counter moves, with how he employs them. And I just think in a phone booth, he can make you miss because he is so athletic. And that's what I love about Kalijah right. Kansi. But they, they're not one-on-one parallels between him and Aaron Donald, not just between skill sets, but even physically, you know, physically built-wise. And you're right. It's not just the wide receiver position. I just use that to bring up how maybe this is a class where I'd rather make my investment at wide receiver next year instead of this. Because I swear to God, if the Giants go to receiver at 25, Nick, we're not going to get a receiver next year in the first round. We just take ourselves out of that mark, probably. I mean, like maybe they they fire off the board with a Wandale, then another receiver around one, another. But now you're starting to re- 
repeat the Jerry Reese blueprint at that point. And I don't know if you really want to repeat the Jerry Reese blueprint because it didn't really work out. But having said that, it's like the other positions, this qualifies as well. How about edge? Like Nolan Smith is a guy. Yeah. Now it's in vogue because of what Hassan Reddick did, but like Nolan Smith is what? 235 pounds, 236 pounds. He's only six foot three. So like, it's like now you're getting a guy and we we'll talk about him on the edge podcast. I like Nolan Smith a lot. He's by far, oh, yeah. in my opinion, the most dangerous passers, but he, still you're hoping to hit an outlier. Hassan Reddick was an outlier. That doesn't happen all the time, you know, and now you're going for your next Reddick. That's fine, but you're also chasing the outlier in that sense. So that's interesting too. I feel like there's a few guys in the edge class who actually qualify in that Smith being one of them. And Hassan Reddick is like a really good case study for this because he had a great senior bowl, came from a small program, smaller program in Temple, but he was misused. They were like, oh, you're an off-ball backer. You can't play edge. And right. you didn't hear much about him for the first two years when he was in Arizona. And now look at what he's done with the Eagles and with Carolina and how he's been utilized. I mean, he's obviously an edge rusher. It's just people weren't trusting him as an outlier. So if you're going to take an outlier, maybe have them fail at the thing that they were very good at. And one more correction, Aaron Donald had 33, about 33-inch arms. Kalijah Kansi, a little bit over 30. It's a, There's a difference there, but maybe not as uh, 34 inches, like I said before. Yeah, and you've heard that mistake made also with regards to the offensive line position. People saying, oh, this guy can only play guard at the next level, the short arms, the, you know, the, the, the wingspan. And then you see some of these guys come into the NFL, like uh, the dude from Buffalo who they said could only play guard. Um, forgetting his name right now. The kid Deion Dawkins? Yeah, Dawkins. And then they're like, just as good at tackle. You actually give them a shot yeah. and they can make it work. And one player who I think is almost like a poor man's version of what you said with Hassan Reddick, how like maybe an NFL team is going to make the quote unquote mistake of trying to convert him to off ball linebacker and they should yeah, just yeah. let him rip. Well, you know where I'm going with this, don't oh, you? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a poor man's version. Again, this is somebody you would want in like round three, but maybe round four, but I think round three would be Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin because they're going to say, oh, maybe he should play off ball linebacker. Maybe a coach will be you know, you have enough hubris to be like, I can turn this guy into an off-ball linebacker. But if you just let this guy try it at edge, I mean, he had over, I think it was a 92 uh, pass rushing grade from pro football votes last year. His pressure rate per snap, I, I don't have the numbers right now, but I but I looked at this the other day. He was like top five or top seven in pressure per, in pressure rate and with, the, and with the overall pass rushing. I mean, he was one of the most dominant pass rushers, but he's not getting any hype as one of them, and he's not going to go early because he's short, short arms. He looks like he should be converting to off-ball linebacker. So it's just interesting with these outliers. I think as we've changed, and as the NFL has evolved, now you have a lot of coaches who are willing to take more chances on outliers. Obviously, you made the mention of like Brian Dable and Joe Shane because they know that the game has changed and they're looking for something specific. And now it's a space game. Now speed matters. Now you have 11 personnel on the field for 70% of the snaps. So things have changed in the game, and that's evolving too. And until teams feel comfortable with where the game has gotten to and we get to like that foundational point where we're like, okay, this is the game. You need these guys, these guys. They're going to treat keep trying to find outliers. Make no mistake, the pendulum will possibly or at least attempt to swing back. There are going to mm -hmm. be teams like the Falcons and like the Titans. We're going to be like, oh, you have a 230 pound edge. Cool. We're going to run directly at you. Dewan Jones is our freaking right, right tackle. You know, that's right. going to happen as well. And that's what I love about football. It's very cyclical. Yeah, it's great. So let's get into it. Let's start with one of the players who's on. And again, 10 players who are hot. Nick Filato is higher on than the consensus mock draft board. Yeah. So I did not want to choose a top 50 player unless okay. it was like glaring. And the first player that I chose was Julius Brents, the cornerback out of Kansas State. He ranked 59th when I wrote this list. It might be different right now, but he was 59th. And we discussed this, I want to say a few podcasts ago. I was like, dude, are we, are we overthinking Julius Brents 
a player who has that type of change of direction, a player who is that physical, a player with that type of porn star length, 34 inch arms. Like coaches love that type of stuff. And I get it. He's not, he has, I feel like some warts in terms of his recovery speed, that 40 time, I wanted it to be faster. And I do not really love the fact that it was like a, what a four or five, four or something like that. Cause that checks out on tape. He's not the quickest mm -hmm. on the vertical plane, but for a guy with his build, he's still fluid enough. I feel like to be functional and sufficient in man coverage. So I just like looked at him at 59 and I was like, I think I'd be willing to roll the dice on a guy like Julius Brents well before the 59th pick in the draft class, depending on the system. And I know Wink Martindale is a, um, is, is a man coverage heavy system. But at the same time, I feel like if you really hone in with Jerome Henderson on this guy's press skills at the line of scrimmage, I think he's a good enough athlete to hold up in man coverage, even when it is cover zero. And he's very physical up the route stem. If you can get the most out of him with that length, with that body, with that frame. And I just really appreciate everything I've seen from him, even though it's not perfect. So at 59, I wanted to put Julius Brenz out there just because I really, I really think he could be a, a good football player at the next level, even though if his best fit isn't with Wink Martindale. That doesn't mean he won't have success with Wink Martindale, but I think his best fit is probably a more zone-based scheme. I really like this call, Nick. I think, in, and when you look at this profile, it's kind of an everything profile but the vertical speed. And when you have one of these, and we'll talk about this with other corners, one of these guys who's going to be a my guy when we get to that also has is the kind of have everything but one thing. The one thing that guy doesn't have is less important to me than this. This is a big one, not having that vertical speed. It could ultimately kill you at the NFL level. Like, my thought is, like, I'm curious about what you said, right? Like to me, I look at Brent and I'm like, this is much, he's much better fit for a zone heavy scheme. Someone who's going to run like the Vic Fangio principle style defense. I could see him being an awesome corner in that. But then you say like, I don't know if that means he's not a fit for the giants and Wink Martindale and you might be right. But I wonder with a guy like him, like, can you teach him a really good press um, jam type technique at the line of scrimmage? What about like, like you, I asked you this a couple of days, like maybe a week ago, I was just curious. This is not draft related, but I was curious if what, what you saw at the NFL level was more press fail or press man technique by these corners. And I think what most, I talked to you and I talked to a few other people. I think what, mo what we mostly see these days is press bail, right? So with press bail technique, it's like, does that, that's where I worry about the vertical speed a little bit more. If he's just getting a jam on these receivers and like throwing them off, which I kind of think Joey Porter is going to do at the NFL level, which I'm intrigued to see. Like, I feel like he's just going to be super long and powerful oh, with yeah. these receivers and just jam their ass every time. But like, if he's in press bail, let's say Brent's, is that going to be a problem? Like, does he have the recovery speed and press bail to, to, to hold up? Because some of these dudes make things like we talked about on one of the receiver podcasts. They're so freaking talented, like a DK Metcalf or something like that, that they can make it look like a vertical route and then just crush you with an, with cutting into a dig or something like that. And then is he the type of guy? Because the only other thing I had, I, I said it was like a one flaw type of prospect with Brents, but the only other thing that is not like a flaw, but sometimes you're like, eh, I don't know, is like the change of direction and like the hip fluidity. He's not like he tested like it, but I think at times yeah. you'll, you'll see him on film. And you're like, ah, I'm a little bit. There's a little bit, at least a little bit concerned as it translates to the NFL level. I, I agree with you. There were instances of that, but then you watch like the interception he had against, I think it was West Virginia where he was carrying yeah. the one deep in, I think a press bail type of technique. He aligned and pressed and then, like right before the snap, he bailed ass towards the sideline zone technique. And he's just kind of eyeing the number two's release. And he knew it was going to be some sort of like Ohio concept where it was going to be an out route from the number two, the inner receiver. So he was carrying the one and then he just first off great eye discipline by Brent's to watch the quarterback go to the two bait the quarterback and then he 
changed direction so fluidly, swiveled his hips and just drove right down on the number two's route and came away with the interception. Like I saw that change of direction. I was like, that was impressive. Plus you factor in the mental processing aspect of it from Julius Brentson. I'm like, he can do it in certain situations. But one interesting thing about the press bail technique, I felt like for the Giants, because we know Wink Martindale is a little bit different. They ran press bail sometimes. Yeah, because they align in press so often. But right. there was a lot of press jam. There was a lot of, look, you're going to have to beat me. And when you have guys like a Dory Jackson, right, who's really fluid, he might not be the most physical in terms of his jam, but he's very fluid. He's going to be able to stay in your hip pocket. But now you add a Joey Porter Jr. You add a Julius Brents, who might not be as fluid as a player like Dory Jackson, but what do they have? They have physicality. They can jam you. They can ride you right off the red line. They can toss you out of bounds, right? And I, I think in a Wink Martindale system, when you have a player as big, long, and physical, but might not be as fluid, there's still a lot of merit to that because you can impose your will and your physicality as long as you have good press technique, which we know Joey Porter Jr. has. And I feel like Julius Brents has the potential to develop that as well. Yeah, that's a great point because remember, within just think about in the context of this system and what the Giants are. If you can get a corner in here, whoever it may be, Brent, Porter, whatever other players are talking about, who are really good at press, press jam or any kind of press coverage, we are the type of team that isn't giving these quarterbacks a million days back there, just a million hours back there, to just sit and, and progress. Like we're putting the pressure on, we're sending simulated pressures all the time, we're sending extra pass rushers as well. It's not just simulated pressure. Sometimes McMardell's sending five, six guys. So these quarterbacks don't have all the time. So if you have a good corner who can really get on top of the receiver and press him, there may not that could completely throw the timing off and make it so that receiver is basically taken out of the play and they're playing with 10 players on the field. Exactly. And to that point, there are times, like you said, man, like Julius Brents can just hit that, hit that jam. Then the quarterback is looking right in that direction. And then he's like, okay, he's not getting off his jam. I got to get to my second read like this. And by that point, if you're bringing five, if you have seven guys on the line of scrimmage, creating one-on-one -on -one matchups, sometimes we know Wink Martin does a master at doing this, creating free rushers. That quarterback is going to die. That quarterback is going to have to either run or he's going to have to throw the football just get it out of bounds or get crushed by Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, right. Dexter Lawrence, or whomever. So there is definitely merit to adding a player like that to disrupt the releases. I just think the guy has to be athletic enough to hold up in man coverage when he isn't landing that jam or when he is executing another different type of coverage assignment. And I think Brents is sufficient, at least functional in that manner. I love it. Let's get to your next player on the list. Yeah, so my second player on this list in terms of the rankings was... Tajay Spears, who ranked at 76th. And I was like, 76 isn't totally unfair. I didn't think this was a huge reach by the consensus board. I can see him going around pick 76. But Devin A. Chain, Devon A. Chain, the Texas A&M running back, who everyone's really high on, and, and I understand it. And look, he's going to be the type of guy who's going to have like 60-yard touchdowns. Everyone's going to be like, oh, man, so good, because he's that track speed, yes. home run type of guy. But when I watched the film between the two, I just felt like Taji Spears was a better overall running back. And I get A-Chain has that deep track speed, but there were plays that Tajay Spears had throughout his tape that I'm like, dude, this guy is just maybe not as fast, but he's right there, right? Like he's opening up against USC. He had a couple long touchdown runs where you just see his stride and he has a long stride for like a smaller guy when he really gets out in the space and he's just accelerating past guys. He's making safeties angles just absolutely disappear. I saw it against UCF as well. He had this really long breakaway run. And then you look at his time at the 40 and it's like a four five, two. And it's like, dude, I'm telling you, man, just off the tape, yes. there are plays that where he's a lot faster than a four five, two. 
And if you want a guy who can run in between the tackle, if you want a guy who can make plays out in the space, can kick it outside. And like we said, just does such a good job getting north to south and also just contorting his body in a manner to where the defender, linebacker, safety, the alley defender, whoever it is, just does not get a clean shot at him. That's Tajay Spears. And I feel like he has just a better overall feel and vision for the game than a Devon A-Chain. So and I don't want to like crap on A-Chain because I thought A-Chain, he's going to have a role and I feel like he can be successful as an NFL running back, much more niche than a player like Tajay Spears. So I was like, you know what, Tajay Spears, I like him a lot. I feel like everyone does. 76, is that fair? I can be talked into it. But at the same time, I like him more than some of these other running backs that are listed above him, specifically A-Chain. So I wanted to put him on the list. Yeah, I think he did an eloquent job of breaking down all of it, the traits there. I mean, it's a very complete profile, and then you also have a unique ability, in my mind, to change directions and basically have that weird, I don't know how to explain it, that, I guess, natural, innate feel for angles on the football field. That's how I describe it. I don't, there's no way to, like, quantify it, but I see it with some of these guys in the open field. Zay Flowers, to me, is just like that, that innate feel for finding space when in the open field. Ben, in addition to that, like you said, that violent running style to get north-south and that ability to just shake off consistently those leg tackles, consistently, because he plays with great leverage and because he has great contact balance. For those who want to hear more on Taji Spears, you can go to back in the podcast feed because we did a full draft profile on Spears earlier this week or whenever this drops, I don't know. But at some point, we did a full Taji Spears draft profile. So you get the full thing there. But one last thing I want to say about this pick is I like how you folk first opened this up, Nick. It feels, Nick said, it feels like cheating placing Spears on this list. It really does feel like cheating because Taji Spears, to me, is such a lock to provide value where he's taken in this draft. Now, that may not be true. Someone may say, F it, we see what you're talking about or not what you're talking about, but we see it too. Let's take him at 45. Let's take him at 44. And that's like, okay, that's fine value. I get it. But if he's sitting around in the seventies, like here it says 76, if he's sitting around in the mid seventies, like that's just a cheat. It's a cheat code to me. It's an easy, easy value play pick. So I love this call by you. And we're going to get to another player next who I feel like also is cheating. And we actually haven't done a draft profile on him yet, but I knew you loved him. We've already talked a bunch off pod. It's a, it's a, it's a double my guy here. Like we both just see the film and can see it so clearly, but once again, it's another small dude. Uh, Taji Spears is five, nine, 200 pounds. This dude is actually even smaller than Taji Spears. Yeah, and that is Nathaniel Tank Dell, wide receiver from Houston, and he was ranked at 79, so around that same area as Taji Spears. And I just got to say, man, Tank Dell was one of the first wide receivers I watched. I think it was before the Senior Bowl, like where I dove into my evaluation, and I was like, first off, I thought he was like – Five eleven, six foot or something. He just looks bigger out there, and then he he comes in at what like five eight or something. But wildly productive, over thirteen hundred yards, I believe seventeen touchdowns this past year. And it's not just all schemed up production. Like this guy is running routes and uncovering thirty yards down the field, extending away from his frame, strong hands at the catch point, making contested catches at times, and he can operate in space. They hit him on screens, and they use him on those design touches as well. But it's not just, that's not all of his production, man. His production is real NFL translatable production, but he's 165 freaking pounds, Dan. And how can you rationalize taking a 165 pound player? People will say, and I get it, man. People are like, oh, he's Tutu Atwell. I think Tank Dell is just a better receiver than Tutu Atwell was. Tutu Atwell was like that speed guy. That's how Louisville used him, you know? Right. Like, Tank Dell is running dig routes and like making catches over the middle of the field, just behind the safety, concentration, everything. Like, I absolutely, I think the word I used, was fun. That's the adjective I used. Like his tape was such a joy to watch. And I think there's few wide receivers in this draft class, maybe not any that are more fun releasing off the line of scrimmage and how they angle their body, man. This guy's micro movements are in 
freaking mm-hmm. insane. I would never want to be a cornerback on an island against Tank Dell because his feet, it looks like he's dancing, man. It looks like he's doing like bachata or something, bro. They're just like going crazy. And then he just fucking explodes and he's just at the flag. And by that point, he creates like three yards of separation, hauls in the football, easy touchdown for Houston. So I really just love this kid's tape. I understand he's like the outlier of outliers. I hope he goes to a progressive NFL-minded head coach and offensive coordinator, and they leverage his skill set because, yes, I'm a little concerned about 165 pounds, but you look at just traits, man. He has translatable traits. It's just can he overcome his lack of size? I love that breakdown, Nick. And we talked earlier about how a prospect like Julius Brents, well, there seems like when you watch his pro, when you look, when you think about his entire profile, the film, the measure, the, the athletic profile as it projects the NFL level, you look at him and you say, there is really only one thing that this guy does poorly, and it's the vertical speed and it's the recovery ability. That's a real thing, like in the NFL. That's a trait that matters. When you look at Tank Dell, the only knock I have on this dude is his size. That's it. And is that a real thing? Yes, it's a real thing for sure. But it's not like a trait. It's not like something that you can continue to pick on as a coordinator. I don't think. Maybe you can. Maybe you find like a Joey Porter or something. I don't, he's not a good example. Like someone who could just press his ass every time. But then you have a creative mind like Dable and Kafka and you just put him in a stack. Put him in a bunch, like, or find different ways to use him in motion before the snap. And I think you can there get therefore get him a good release. But with Tank Dell versus all a lot of these other smaller receivers, Nick, it's what you it's the things that you said. It's that ability to get in and out of his breaks. I see this with Zay Flowers as well, but I almost think like Tank Dell is actually better than Zay Flowers of this, which is crazy to think about. It's can he run a dig route? Yeah, he can run a dig route despite being 5'8", whatever, 165, whatever you said he was. I mean, maybe he can play a little bigger, but like he can run a dig route. I liked him when he was coming back to the quarterback too, like on curls and stick routes. I thought he did a good job of doing of, of breaking on those too. Then you see in red zone reps where he's winning in the red zone. And I think that's the key. You watch these red zone guys. In the old days, we used to think, oh, you want to get a red zone threat to your offense? By the six foot four dude, like the the Brian Edwards type, who's like six five, huge frame. You throw him fades, but fades suck. It's the least. It's literally the least efficient play you can run in the red zone. Now you have guys, and we saw this last year a little bit with Isaiah Hodgins, who I think does a good job of winning with with release off the line of scrimmage in the red zone. You're seeing the best red zone receivers are the ones who have release packages in the red zone. Hunter Renfro is unbelievable in the red zone because, and he wasn't last year because he was injured. But in the past, look at 2021 tape. Hunter Renfro was one of the best red zone receivers in the NFL. Why? because of his release package because the micro movements that you talked about Nick, that ability to just keep that corner just basically off guard and then eventually you make your break and you're open and you have that separation tank Dell to me doesn't really have a single weakness in his game other than his his catch radius which doesn't to me doesn't to me at least matter as much in a daniel jones offense because catch radius is not something that is really stressed in this offense last year in my opinion it's not really something that's important for a daniel jones type quarterback and then two, just size. Can he hold up? Is he going to get injured at the NFL level? Are people going to be able to press him off the line of scrimmage? These are real question marks for sure, but they're the only question marks. So to me, he's ranked 79th here. I'd be happy where the Giants could take him starting at 57. If you told me today, Nick, that in two weeks from now, the Giants will take Tank Dell at 57. I won't be mad at that pick, dude. I really won't. And this is where we get into the bigger question, though. It's like, it does kind of suck now. We didn't like it at the time. Neither of us really liked the Wando pick at the time. And now it's like, I really wish that was something else. Anything else, dude. Interior offensive line for me to get excited about. Interior defensive lineman, an edge, corner, safety, literally anything else but Wandell Robinson. Because it's like, do you want to double down on a tank, Dell? Do you want to take a Jordan Addison? Do you want to take a Tyler Scott? Players who I really like their tape. But we just took Wandell Robinson. So it's like, where does that leave us with these super short guys? How many can you compile on one roster and still try to win a football, you know, and still build a football team out? 
And we know Joe Shane has stressed separation is the most important quality in a wide receiver, right? And Wando Robinson, he can create separation. Tank Dell, he can create separation, but you don't want a bunch of Smurfs out there. You're right. You don't want a bunch of Smurfs out there. But I'll say this, man. I've seen a lot of snaps of Tank Dell against press, Tank Dell against guys who are up towards the line of scrimmage. He steps on a million ants. He sells his release packages so well. He had this crazy scissors release down at the Senior Bowl. And look, I don't really like getting too crazy about Senior Bowl one-on-one reps because they favor the wide receiver so much. But the way he had the body control and just the overall movement skills to land that scissor release, it was wild. Like that's going to, if he can, if he has that type of foot movement ability and control at the line of scrimmage, which I also saw throughout his entire tape, he can shake certain defensive backs who aren't as disciplined. And sure, those really good long physical press corners might give him some issues, but I do think his floor right now, and that's why second round might be a little bit aggressive to me, even though I love him so much. His floor right now is an elite kick returner with like difference making gadget ability. People are like, oh, this is Kadarius Tony. It's like the Giants took Kadarius Tony in the first round. Kadarius Tony, bigger guy, more physical guy than a tank Dell. But there are like few- tape better than Tony's. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think so. I think Tony is is better a better at changing direction. But yeah, since. Kadarius Tony, I think Tank Dell might be my favorite in terms of going zero to a hundred while changing direction. I think yeah. Tank Dell might be my favorite guy that I've seen since Kadarius Tony wow. in doing that. But Kadarius Tony, like he had a lot of issues in terms of I don't want to say off the field, but it didn't seem like he could really pick up the playbook. That was his big knock. Yeah. I don't know if, if Nathaniel Dell, Tank Dell, can, but if he can, then you can really get the most out of that type of player, even though he's smaller than Tony. And I think there's still room for that on this roster, despite the fact that Wando Robinson is there. It's just where do you select if the Giants trade back in round one, get another second round pick, another third round pick or something like that. Then maybe I would, I would feel much more comfortable about investing a day two pick in a guy like Dell, but damn, do I love this guy's tape. And that's fair too, because one thing we never talk about, we're just talking about, Oh, all these players and positions. We never talk about what it means to the actual giants. They invest in another five foot, eight, 160 pound dude right after doing it with Wando with mass and premium type picks, 44 overall, 57 overall. These are picks you don't get back. These are your premium ch- chopped, uh, you know, swings at this thing. And we're not taking planet theory guys. They were taking these super small dudes and something to think about, but I will say this, man, I re- you know, we just watched Wando tape last year and we just watched tank Dell tank Dell's a better prospect than Wando Robinson to me in, in basically almost, if not every single way. Like, I just don't know if there's any way that I like Wando more. You probably do. What do you, let me hear if you have anything. I don't necessarily have something. Cause I do think I like Dell better than Wando Robinson, but Wando Robinson was a running back. Okay. Yeah. So like he's new to the wide receiver position. I feel like he's maybe a little bit more physical than a tank Dell, but just in terms of being a wide receiver. Yeah. I like tank Dell better than and Wando Robinson at 100 yards against Houston the day the game before he got injured. Like, he's proven he can provide production at the end of a level. Sounds like I don't like Wando Robinson. I think he's going to be, like, pretty productive for the Giants and, fine, like, a fine value ultimately because of the production. But now that we have a class with this many type of guys, I don't know. I watch Tank Dell, and to me, there's basically not – there's not basically – there's nothing he does worse than Wando Robinson, in my mind at least. And I think he has a much higher ceiling, too, based on the things that you talked about there. But it is what it is. We'll see if the Giants make another swing at one of these – size receivers it would be really interesting if they did it again but time will tell let's get on to your next player here we're moving on to the defensive back uh a guy who i don't want to call safety i think he'll be a safety NFL, but i think he has shown some interesting uh they used him all over he could be a box guy i think i think he could be somebody who lines up over your slot and provides like an immediate improvement over a darn a holmes type so let's get to that player right now 
Yeah, Jartavius Quan Martin out of Illinois. Like you said, a defensive back. I think this guy is the perfect fit for what the Giants want in a positionless type of secondary option, a chess piece, if you will. Somebody you can align over the slot. And I think he would be an upgrade over a Darnay Holmes. Somebody you can align in the deep half because he's that fluid. Like this is an elite level athlete. We're talking about a 144 10 yard split, which is insanely quick and it pops up on his film. It's not a mistake. It's not just always a good tester. We're talking about a 44 inch vertical, an 11 one broad jump. This is a player who reportedly is also a really hard worker. So he has that character element to this. But if you watch his tape, dude, there are some frustrating aspects that are easily correctable. Like he doesn't maintain the best body presence in man coverage. And there are times where he gets overly aggressive and tries to jump plays similar to like a Marcus Peters. He has that, he's that mentality, which I respect. You want takeaways. You want, you know, you want the gold, go for the gold, go big or go home. But it did lead to him getting burnt sometimes. And that's something that I'm like, ah, oh, man, that's frustrating, but that's coachable. And he has the athletic abilities to come away with the athletic ability to come away with the football in those situations, which he did at the collegiate level. It's just, I don't think there's a lot of players in this draft with his type of versatility and movement ability with the sure tackling. A lot of the players in this draft class are like, oh man, you know, they're great athletes are good in coverage, but they don't really want to tackle. Quan Martin wants to tackle. Mm -hmm. Quan Martin is a great tackler. Like a lot of people are talking about Sidney Brown. I like Sidney Brown, the Illinois. He's his teammate. Another safety defensive back. I would take Quan Martin over Sidney Brown every day of the week. And that's one reason why he made this list too, is Sidney Brown is ranked higher than him. Mm -hmm. And I like Quan Martin better for the New York Giants and just better overall as a prospect than a Sidney Brown who Look, I, I thought he had a really good 2022 tape. I thought he had some, he he played man coverage against tight ends better than I think I would have expected in terms of fluidity and things like that. Even though he's a really good testing athlete, he's definitely a physical box guy, but Quan Martin was a much better tackler than Sidney mm -hmm. Brown. I don't think a lot of people are discussing that. So I would be absolutely fine with this type of pick, especially if the Giants can get him in the third round. I love this call as well. It's another player who I'm high on that you're high on. I agree with you on Sidney Brown, his teammate. I the tackling is what worries me the most. When you're one of those like defensive backs from the second level or third level who can't tackle, I just get nightmares thinking back to the old days of James Betcher and, and the coordinator before him, where the Giants just couldn't tackle at the third level. And it was crazy how much that impacted their defense. Uh, as far as Martin goes, I love how a lot of what you discussed there, Nick, are coachable things like it could be a situation where you get him with Jerome Anderson in the Giants coaching staff and now it, he unlocks a player that we didn't even see on film the ceiling's even higher because he corrects the things that are easily correctable via coaching but like you said man you can't coach some of this stuff up you can't coach his his like you said his will his willingness his aggressiveness you can't coach up 83rd percentile hand size which could potentially help him be a ball a ball skill player at the next level 96th percentile 10 yard split which shows the quickness and acceleration moving downhill 98th percentile vert 95th percentile broad that's explosiveness this is a seriously a1 elite blue chip type athlete who potentially could become a really good player at the NFL level with really good coaching and also ran a four, four, six, by the way, which is not shabby at all for a safety or whatever he's going to be safety nickel. We don't really know, but it depends what the coaching staff gets him. But like you said, you put him in a giants coaching staff, Wink Barndale, and he's used all over right away. They find a role for him and there's multiple roles that they can use in different packages. And the thing about Cindy Brown too, and Jartavis Martin, Jartavis Martin had a 6.1% missed tackle rate last season, a 4.8% missed tackle rate the season prior in 2021. Sidney Brown hasn't had a or hasn't had a single digit missed tackle rate his entire collegiate career. He always double digit. Like from a tackling standpoint, he's built as that physical to, and he is when he makes contact, but he 
kind of lets guys around him more often than I than I want. And I also think Jartavis Martin is a much more versatile player than a Sidney Brown. So I don't really understand why people aren't valuing him like that. Maybe it's the frustrating plays in man coverage where he doesn't maintain good body presence. I think that can be corrected. I really do because the athletic ability is there to be good in man coverage. And I also think that aggressive nature that he played with Jartavis Martin, that is definitely got him in trouble, but that also will lead to takeaways. And like we said, similar to Emmanuel Forbes, when you're playing in a system, like the New York Giants who blitz as much, a player like Jartavis Martin kind of meshes well with that. Yeah. So, because the pressure is going to be dialed up and then you have a guy who is going to jump routes, a guy who's going to play an aggressive style and is comfortable doing so. So I really like that marriage, Giants and Jartavis Martin. And if he can be what I think it's possible he can be at the NFL level, as in an upgrade to what the Giants currently have at uh, over the slot and, and nickel packages with Darnay Holmes, that to me is a much more valuable position to upgrade than people are talking about. Because if we actually got a really good slot corner to play over these slots, that's where a lot of the NFL offense is generated these days from these slot receivers. And it's the easiest, it's always the two, it's not always, but it's typically the two-way go route for these receivers, which makes it a lot easier and it makes it a much easier read for the quarterback. And a potential, like we talk about, these layup throws are typically coming from these players. So to upgrade the, the position and the player who actually matches up against these these opposing team slots, to me, is very important this offseason. It's not talked about a lot. Some people are like, oh, that's what they got Cordell fought for. Maybe, maybe that's what we'll see. Maybe they can take a, you know, whatever it is, Emmanuel Forbes in the first round, and then we see Flot move back to the slot. And we're like, okay, well, this was the plan all along, and that's fine. Then we don't need to stress trying to find that later in the draft or in the middle rounds. But Right now, as it stands, I think that's very important. I actually, one final thing on this, I talked to my friend Ian Gold, who used to work for Illinois and write on their, right, uh, used to write about their team. And I tried to get the insight on the Illinois three defensive backs in this draft and Chase Brown, a player who I also like, Sidney Brown's brother, who I think could be a nice steal at running back. I mean, it's insane how many potential steals there are at running back in this class. It's, it's actually a joke how deep this running back class is. I'm going to be pissed again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If the Giants don't get running back, I don't give a crap what their plan is with Saquon Barkley. If they want to resign him long term, they don't get a running back from this class. It's too talented. But anyway, he gave me the lowdown. And what he said is, one of the things that he really likes about these guys protecting the next level is there's so much upside to that fact that they played in that Lovey Smith defense for so long, and they really had no clue how to use these guys, Witherspoon, uh, Sidney Brown. And he described it, and, and I agree with it, as a very lazy defense. I think Lovey was running a very lazy defense over the Illinois. I remember the first game Graham Mertz ever played for Wisconsin, the biggest recruit we've ever gotten in the history of our program at quarterback, as excited as I could possibly be about anyone for sports team since the Giants drafted Eli Manning. And this dude threw five touchdowns, Graham Mertz, and 350 yards in like a half against this Illinois defense. That was basically just running pure cover two out there, and it was pathetic. And then Graham Mertz turned into one of the biggest busts in Wisconsin history, never looked the same. And I just remember watching that Lovey Smith defense that year, and it was just as bad. It was lazy as it gets out there, in my opinion. So, and it's backed up by the, by the guys who actually watch the stuff. So I think there is some value in the fact that they didn't really know how to use these three talents for a while. And then finally, last year, we started... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I see it. Good old Brett Bielma came in and and they used a lot more man coverage. But let's move on to another another Big Ten defensive back, and that is Purdue's Corey Trice. This guy's going to be 28 by the start of training, or 28, wow, 23 by the start of training camp. So he's a little bit older, but I heard somebody say that he is like a knockoff, a discount version of Joey Porter Jr. So I was like, oh, let me go watch his tape. And I see that as well. And this is somebody who was recovering, recovered from a torn ACL in 2021, and he played in 2022, had nine PBUs, had two interceptions. I would say that, He's not as disciplined as Joey Porter Jr. at the line of scrimmage, but he has that type of length. He is a physical cornerback. He's not the most fluid, but I did appreciate the tape that I saw from the physicality standpoint, from the run support standpoint, and I think he would be maybe a better zone type of corner, but he was at 119, which isn't too unfair to me, but he's a player that I just recently got turned on to, and I was like, you know what? I kind of like this player. I like the fact that he had a really good season after his ACL tear. Maybe there's more room to grow going forward. And I think if he lands in the right defensive system, you get a long physical cornerback with a good mentality. I think that's what a lot of NFL teams are looking for, especially if a team wants a Julius Brents, if a team wants a Joey Porter Jr. and they miss on those players, then you have a guy like Corey Trice from Purdue that you can fall back on. I like that call as well, too. It's a bet on traits type of pick. And I'm always a big fan of betting on trade, especially day three, where I think he will ultimately end up going. I do kind of agree with you. He's better fit in like a Pete Carroll style defense. And I think about just yeah. because of Tariq Wallen last year and what he was able to do. But having said that, if he is kind of like a discount Joey Porter, or in some ways maybe he can be, that could be another example of a, a player you get in front of uh, Henderson and you get in front of these Giants coaches and they can figure out some way to use him that maximizes his skill set. So it's something interesting to consider. Also, as you noted, and I think it's important and worth saying, players do typically um, ha- imp- tend to improve greatly the second year off the ACL. So like you said, last year was the first year off that ACL tear. So the second year, he's they're typically better athletes. So maybe there's also some upside again in his athletic profile moving forward. So Corey Trice, the cornerback out of Purdue, someone to keep an eye on potentially for the Giants on day three. Probably better fit for zone base, a zone-heavy scheme, but still some potential there to be a, a press man corner for Wink Martindale. How he plays the football at the catch point. I think I just love that type of physical minded cornerback. And when you have some sort of baseline athletic ability, again, he's not an elite athlete, but a baseline athletic ability that allows you to play man coverage with that length, with that physicality, then I'm more than likely going to be interested in you as a prospect. So that's kind of why he's there. But let's move on to the next guy. This is a Dan Schneier favorite. This is a Nick Filato favorite. I don't know why I have two wide receivers who are both going to be my guys for Dan and myself. That yeah. is. Purdue's like another Purdue guy, Charlie Jones, who was at 157. And I just, I can already say, and I understand why people are, are hesitant on Charlie Jones, right? He's not the biggest guy. He's kind of an outlier. I think in terms of his size, he's in the one seventies. It's not the yeah. most athletic, but he's a functional athlete. But Dan, I think he's going to be that just reliable 
safety blanket for a quarterback who doesn't even need to create all that much separation because he can make contested catches, which we saw against Joey Porter Jr. in the Penn State game in week one. And we saw all throughout this season basically setting records for Purdue over 1300 yards, wildly productive sitting there at 157. That's a value to me. And I know he's not the sexiest, but I just think he's going to win over a fan base because he's just so reliable, so consistent. And again, he's a really good kick returner, similar to tank Dell, very good kick returners. That's the floor. And I think their ceiling is even higher. And I think they'll reach that ceiling because of all the traits that they showed throughout their college tape. Yeah. Charlie Jones, wide receiver from Purdue. It's a player that both Nick and I love. I think we both see like, rounds upon rounds of value about where he might eventually be taken or you know here it says 157 i think he's a top 100 player in this class personally maybe not too far ahead of that because of what nick said the size is not great and the age is not great but part of the reason the age is not great is because he fizzled it's not that he fizzled out he was in two stupid offenses that sucked he was at buffalo that offense sucked and then he was at iowa that offense sucked and they didn't use him and that almost to me adds more value to his profile because if he played all four seasons at purdue or however many seasons he's been i think we'd be looking at like insane stats and everyone would be like no no no, you got to take this guy at least on round three like he's going to be at least productive because he didn't i think that helps boost his value a few things you mentioned that i love about charlie jones the release package off the line of scrimmage man it's just so good it's so damn good he's gonna win in the nfl with his release off the line of scrimmage because you watch all these receivers and then you watch charlie jones and he's one of the better ones at this tank dell's awesome too but this dude is one of the better ones at this uh and jordan addison as well there's a lot of good players in this regard but he's up there and he's not talked about it like up there then you see him stack vertically sometimes and you're like damn this dude knows how to run the vertical route tree too but then finally my favorite thing about charlie jones is how many times did we see him take hits over the middle and catch the freaking ball like this guy has great contested catch ability for a small 180 pound athlete it doesn't make sense but it's the reality of the situation. He is a great contested catch receiver somehow, even not just over the middle when he's taking hits, like on the outs on the outside, outside the numbers, this dude will extend away from his frame, high point of football and go fight or work back toward a football in the air. And you're like, damn, those are good ball skills. And so it's just like, what is wrong with this guy? I guess his age true. And the, the size, these are two things that are definitely knocks, but not enough to drop him all the way to 157 for me. So yeah, another player who I love. I wanted Michael Wilson on this list, but oh, I couldn't put him on it just because of all the injuries. I mean, like, I don't think yeah. the guys ever finished a season in college, but nope. I turned on his tape a couple of days ago, Dan. And I got to tell you, bro, like he, the, the guy has so many crazy movements. He like throws his foot into the ground to sell his throughout his stem so freaking hard oh, wow. to get the cornerbacks to bite. Like, I'm not surprised he gets injured because of the way he just kind of runs That's his route with so much force and violence. And I'm not sure if he ever got hurt doing that. And I'm not meaning to say that to be insensitive. I'm just saying he is such a determined purposeful route runner. And I really freaking appreciate that. And I'm really pulling for Michael Wilson. If he is there on day three for the giants, I don't care about his injury history. I am yeah. completely fine with them bringing him in, especially since he is such a good person. Reportedly, he was a team captain, a true leader dominated the senior bowl. Like I really liked what I saw from Michael Wilson and Dan, you turned me on to him. I heard about him through the senior bowl process, but sometimes you hear about guys you're just like, ah, okay, whatever. Like I'll get to him eventually, but I turned on one game and I was like, holy crap. I really love this guy. So that's Michael Wilson from Stanford. He didn't make the list because he was ranked. I think proportionally, but damn, he's a freaking good football player. Yeah, Michael Wilson from Stanford. I think if it wasn't for the injuries, he'd be uh, – well, we know he'd obviously be ranked higher, but I don't know, man, Nick. I watch him on film, and I think he's better than almost all these wide receiver prospects in this class as it translates to the NFL level from a non-injury when, you, when you're not factoring in because, like you said, his route running is super savvy. Like, to, to be able to 
get in and out of the breaks like he does at his size is amazing. Then you add in the leadership like you talked about. But also, I think this dude can be like a premier blocker potentially at the NFL level and just seal off your, your run game at the edge and give you a chance to spark these massive plays in your power run games when you get to the perimeter in addition to everything else he does as a receiver. So he won't, he like, he almost reminds me a little bit. I'm curious if you saw this at all. I don't think this is a very unorthodox comp that you're probably going to be like, I don't know about. And he's not as explosive as this guy or fast, maybe, though I think he's smarter and savvier. But he reminded me in some ways of George, when I watched George Pickens out of Georgia last year coming into the NFL. That was kind of what I thought about. Just that kind of like huge body, but somehow, despite being such a long athlete and a big athlete, he's able to contort his body and make it look like he's like a Charlie Jones out there running routes. I thought it was a really interesting one. I never put that together with George George Pickens. I thought, and I think I might have heard this from, from somebody, but I know Michael Wilson is a much bigger type of player than this mm-hmm. guy. But think about Seattle Seahawks, Golden Tate. Oh, interesting. Because Golden Tate was like, what, 5'10", 5'11"? Yeah. Michael Wilson's like 6'2". Mm-hmm. But Golden Tate played a lot bigger than 5'10", 5'11". And he was also a very purposeful, determined route runner who just blocked his absolute ass off when he was at his peak. And yep. going back to his Notre Dame days and the Detroit Lion days. And let's not forget the one year, the three games that he spent in Philadelphia yeah. <laughs> before coming to the Giants. But that was a one. It wasn't my comp. I heard it, I think, on a podcast. And I was like, that's interesting. And when I was watching his film, I was like, I can understand how somebody would make that parallel. Not a big comp guy, though, to be honest. The difference Great in size comps. kind of takes me away from it. But uh, I think just from a play style standpoint, it, it made some sense. Would you say I'm going to convert you into being a bigger comp guy? Because remember, I'm going to try said, next season. I'm yeah. going to be more compy next season. I am. Be more comfy next year. Because the thing with comps is we don't have to be right about these comps. I just think I do agree with what my one friend said, who's like, you know, more of a novice football fan. And he's not even. He's by all real standards. He's a diehard football fan by the standards of the Big Blue Bander podcast. Where we're talking <laughs> team and X's and O's. I guess he would be considered a novice fan. But he's like, I, people like us, we need it. We need to hear what he can be like and what he has traits of this type of player. And just to get the frame work and just to get the 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 you know the the wheels the gears churning and i kind of like that take but anyway let's move I on like to your let's move on to your next uh player that you're higher on the consensus it's a player i haven't seen at all so this one's all on you it's hard to find his tape so i only watched yeah. one game of nick hampton edge rusher out of appalachian state six foot two 236 pound fifth year senior with just under 34 inch arms nine and a half inch hands ran a four five eight with a one five five ten Vertical jump solid, 35 and a half broad was 10 feet. He didn't do any of the agilities at the combine. So I turned on the week one game against North Carolina. And to me, he jumped off the screen, was very explosive, flexible. His ability to kind of corral his feet and turn tight corners in a very controlled manner and then explode after the turn into the quarterback was very impressive. He had a sack against Drake May early in the second quarter executing that same exact trait that I just described. I think his frame suggests he's not going to be all that great against the run. And that's what I've also read just from other people who have seen more film of him. I didn't see that really come to bear in the UNC game. I saw him actually anchor down against a double team. I was like, oh, okay. But like, I'm just like, this is a 236 pound guy who's playing at App State. It's probably just a one-off. And I just haven't seen enough film of this player to, to really give you a firm understanding of how he defends the run. So I'm going to default to the people who have seen much more film, but I'll tell you, he has the quickness. He has the burst and explosiveness that are very, very impressive to me. 
So I'm interested in him where he was ranked at pick 175. I think I'm going to have him higher. I'm basing that off one game, but it was one game against an ACC opponent with when he had, I think like six or seven pressures, like he was everywhere in that game. He was harassing Drake May. So that's where I'm at with Nick Hampton, an Appalachian edge, an undersized one. Okay, Nick Hampton, edge rusher out of Appalachian State. Let's move on to your next guy, a player I have watched and I also really like. And I'm curious why he hasn't gotten more buzz after just putting together such a dominant athletic profile from a testing standpoint. That's the part that surprises me why he hasn't gotten more buzz. It's a player I first kind of caught my attention when watching another player who I love in this class, Zach Charbonnet. Um, So we can get to him right now. Yeah, that's John Gaines, the second interior offensive lineman out of UCLA. He was ranked 201st. And I was like, damn, this is somebody who was on an offensive line that was a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. They also have, uh, I think, uh, Antonio Maffi, the other guard, the yeah. left guard, because John Gaines, the second, is a is a right guard who uh, who's on that line. So UCLA, and we talked about it when we went over Zach Charbonnet, they had a really good offensive line. And that's when I kind of got turned on to John Gaines. That, and then that was kind of around the same time when I was watching Charbonnet, the combine happened. And the next thing I know, I was like, oh, my God, this guy blew up the combine. And it's just yeah. overall, for me, it's his movement skills, man. I have a profile over at Giants Country on him, but it's his overall control, his movement skills. What he tested came out on tape. But the reason why he is low is it's all technical, man. It's it's how to use your hands. I don't think his anchor is all that great. I feel like his his best fit in the NFL is going to be as a zone blocker. It's going to be as a zone rusher. I feel like he's just got all the range to, to make those reach blocks, to scoop on the backside if he needs to. I feel like he's not going to be a bruiser, which is an issue maybe for the Giants because the Giants are it's, – it's unique with the Giants. Giants ran a lot of power gap. Giants need guys, and they want guys who can move. Mark Lewinsky might not get the credit that he deserves in terms of his ability to get up to the second level. Like He's like damn good at it. Like he takes really good angles. He hustles. He's not a bruiser. Really. I don't know if the giants want a bruiser. Josh Azudu. I feel like he can be a, somewhat of a bruiser, but he's more of a controlled athlete, similar to what John Gaines. It's just, can John Gaines kind of improve that anchor, improve his pass protection ability and his overall technique. But I picked two one or whatever the hell he's at, man, I would take that any day, man. The giants have taken linemen in the last decade that I would not believe is or near the potential of a John game. So I just felt like the value was there and he had to make the list just based on that. Yeah. And I think that ultimately he's going to be, he's going to come off the board way sooner than, than this uh, consensus mock. Like you, you don't have a, first of all, they say the one of the most telling athletic testing uh, drills from a translation standpoint across all positions is the 20 yard shuttle with offensive linemen. Now there's been like one or two misses. The dude from uh the dude the Eagles drafted was a miss Dillard, but he also dealt with a ton of injuries in his early career yeah. in the NFL. But you look at the list and there's just a slew of just knock out, knock it out of the park hits for these like high percentile uh, shuttle guys. This was a 94th percentile sh- short shuttle guy, 96th percentile three cone. The change of direction skills are phenomenal. 97th percentile broad jump explosiveness, 93rd percentile vert explosiveness, 94th percentile 40 yard dash, 88th percentile 10 yard split for the quickness and acceleration. Like, I love the idea of developing a guy like this with that kind of athleticism. You know, for me, I love watching these move type offensive linemen with athleticism. To me, that's just like, that's how you project. That's how you translate what could potentially be a hit player at the NFL level. So I think this guy has a ton of actual upside at the NFL level, considering 
not to mention all of that. Like we said, when you watch Charbonnet, you can see him and he pops and he's already a good run blocker, I think. But you say you're right, probably more for his own scheme, but that's fine. The Giants run. It's not like we said we talk about how the Giants like power and gap, but that's not like all they run. And you you do a good job of talking of, of like reminding us of this all the time, Nick. It's like there's tons of concepts within their run game. They are a very diverse run game. As we always said throughout the season, we saw Kafka do Kafka and Dable add in new concepts, to the run game essentially every single week. There was something they put in the run game that you didn't see previously on film, which was, by the way, not even cl- remotely close to what we saw with the Jason Garrett error. And then just nothing close to what we, like Pat Shermer's just running inside zone the entire time, 90 fucking percent of the time. Just amazing to me, like thinking about it from that standpoint, Nick, like the difference in coaches, like how could there be one coach who runs the same shit over and over again? And then one coach who's like weekly adding new things. How is that a thing in the NFL? Every single coach should fall into the bucket of I'm adding new wrinkles to my run game or to my pass game on a weekly basis is to keep defensive coordinators off guard. There shouldn't be a single coach that falls in. And you could say like, oh, what about Shanahan? No, Shanahan runs outside zone, but he also adds, like you said, so many components to his run game. And I think of all these like crappy ass run games we watched this year. Like what was the one run game the Giants shut down this year despite them having an elite running, not an elite, but like an elite talent at running back. The Seahawks with Ken. Oh, Tennessee as well. But that's another good example. But the Seahawks with Ken Walkers, I was thinking about like they got a great running back back there, even like Dalvin Cook and the Vikings, the same exact idea. But they're running the same zone shit over and over and over again. And it's like, how hard is that to match up against? How hard is that to game plan against? If you do it really well, yeah, it could work. Like the Sean McVay years with the Rams with Gurley. That was great. Like, but I would take a diverse run game any dime over that. Same here. It's adjusting to the fronts. I mean, the Giants just aligned a lot in like a five-man front in their base personnel against Tennessee. And every time Derrick Henry tried to get off tackle, they just just shifted with the line of scrimmage and elongated him all the way to the sideline. And those backside pursuit defenders who were on block always tracked him down, whether that be Jihad Ward or whoever it was. Yep. And that's one another reason why that play-action passing attack also worked. Giants had so many guys up near the line of scrimmage, up near the box that you had Kyle Phillips and all of these, like, not, I don't want to say, losers, like, yeah, you had those guys kind of like carving the giants up in the, in the central part of the field. And then Dontrell Hilliard became a huge thing. Cause the giants had you and me out there starting at linebacker. During that game. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad linebacker game for sure. It's week one. Why what the heck is going on here? It's week one. And we're like, get at linebacker from the start last year. It's crazy, oh, it's crazy. The personnel they tried to put out there at linebacker last year. They've done a good job already. Just a character alone is Thank God. Hopefully they add another buddy in this draft. And one of the final players you're going to mention, by the way, is a linebacker. So we're going to get to him last. There's one more guy in between him. So let's first get to the corner out of Oregon State. You listed here. Not even going to try to announce his first uh, pronounce his first name. I've also never watched this player at all, uh, but I do like the frame here. Yeah, so it's Rayshon Wright, but it's oh. spelled R-E-J-Z-O-H-M. But I believe the pronunciation is just Rayshon Wright. And this is a six foot two, hundred and ninety-three pound cornerback with thirty-two and a half inch arms. And I feel like the Giants do forego going corner in the first round. And even if they don't, you can invest in this guy. He's gonna be around in day three. And I actually really kind of liked his tape and I, I've seen a couple games. I saw Utah. I saw Washington and he had a play against Utah where he carried a vertical. And at first it looked like he was beat by maybe a little bit, maybe by a step, but then he was able to get right back into the hip pocket, showed good recovery, opened up his gate and then just played right through the catch force PBU. And he had two PBUs against Washington as well. One where he aggressively jammed the wide receiver, double ham jam, which is really risky. double ham jam line of scrimmage. This wide receiver, forced him to the outside, and then was also able to 
just stick with this guy throughout the rep, sticky man coverage, get the PBU. There was another one where it was a double move and he just showed a lot of patience. And this was from off zone coverage. So to, to me, it showed like, Hey, this guy has the zone ability to not be fooled by these double moves, this patience, he's not overreacting. And he also had sticky man coverage against Washington, at least. And I also saw that throughout the Utah game. So I was like, this guy is also being discussed right here at pick 262. With that type of frame and from the couple games that I saw, I didn't see him get absolutely burned. I think there was like one or two plays. I, I saw some Michael Wilson when Michael Wilson was playing Oregon State, but I wasn't watching Rayshon Wright at that time where I think he got beat on a deep post. I also believe in that game, he, because it was a quarters type of look, thought that the safety was going to be there. So I'm not going to hold that against Rayshon Wright. But PFF would say that that was probably a touchdown surrender by Rayshon Wright in that game. So that late in the draft, 252, I think I really would, I like a player with this type of size, this type of athletic ability to, to kind of slide in there and, and be, I don't know exactly where I would rank him, but I think it would be a lot higher than 252. So I had to add him on this list as well. I like it. A sleeper for everyone to consider. Rayshon Wright, the corner out of Oregon State. A bet on trades prospect. And as I've said before, and I know Nick is on par, on par with me with this, once you get to day three, or at least for me, I'm even more aggressive with it. When I get to day three, I want to bet on traits. And I want to bet on the injury concern guys because, or the guys who are injured right now and might miss some of the season because I know I'm getting great value in both regards. Obviously, Trey Smith was a recent example by the Chiefs, one of the best value picks in the last decade draft-wise. I mean, he's a six-round pick. He's already one of the best guards in the NFL, according to some people. I thought I saw Brandon Thorne talking about that. I mean, we're talking about just Damone Clark from the Cowboys last year, round five pick. It's had some seriously good. They didn't think he might not even play at all last year. Got on the field, was super athletic, and made some big plays for them. I think he's going to have a kind of mini breakout this year. There's just always value. And this is not that example. It's not an injury value type play. Maybe like a Voorhees would be closer to that. But this is somebody who you're betting on traits. Six foot two, 193, almost 33-inch arms. So interesting play here. Let's get to your last one here. Nick Anderson, the linebacker out of Tulane. Yeah, one more thing about Rayshon yes. Wright, too. He didn't test. So, cause he had a hip flexor that held him out of the, of the senior bowl. So he accepted the senior bowl invite. So they believed he was good enough to go down there. And I believe he was recovering from a hand injury. And just with those two, those two injuries combined, he didn't test. So we don't know his, his athletic profile, which is maybe another reason why he's sliding, but just based off the traits that I saw on the film, I was like, let's put him on this list because I'm willing to bet on that with one of the giants seven day three picks, yeah, but to Nick Anderson. Oh yeah. Yeah. But to Nick Anderson's point, bro, like, okay, he's not going to be drafted because he didn't test all that well at the pro day. He ran a four, six, two with a one, five, five, 10, which is not bad. The one, five, five. And he has 30 inch arms. He's five foot nine. He's 230 pounds, which is okay. But I gotta say, man, this is a player who I feel like can latch on as a priority free agent, undrafted free agent, and will just compete for a special teams role. And if he gets his shot to go out there, he's exciting. He's a lightning rod. He's violent. He's a sure tackler. Pop on contact. He's smart. He might not be best in coverage just because of that lack of length and that overall frame profile, but he's a dense hitter. And I feel like he can also be a solid asset as a blitzer, which is something that Tulane did. Because everyone talks about Dorian Williams. I get it. The guy has 34 inch arms. He's like six, six foot, six one, whatever he is. He has that type of frame. But I came to see Nick Anderson through watching Dorian Williams. And I was like, okay, no one's talking about this guy out there. Who the hell is he? And I was like, he's a little small, but let me see. I saw nobody invited him to their all-star game. He's not getting any kind of NFL love. And like, that's an indictment right there. I'm not smarter than the NFL, obviously. 
But I'm saying if he gets a shot and it's a real realistic shot, I would not be shocked to see this guy actually make a roster and then being like, dude, this undrafted guy, kind of like a Taman Fox last year. Right. He got a shot. He made his roster, gave the Giants some valuable reps. He's not going to be Lawrence Taylor. He's not going to be Brian Urlacher for you. But in terms of a guy that nobody is talking about, Dan, I'm willing to bet on this guy as a UDFA. And also with one of the Giants seventh round picks, I would be perfectly fine if they spent it on Nick Anderson and gave him a shot to come out of this roster. Also with that penetration ability, he was aligning on the edge. He actually has some pass rushing moves for a linebacker that no one is discussing. It's just he's freaking small. He's another one of those outliers. And I understand why the NFL will be hesitant to give a guy like this that opportunity. But bro, I really enjoyed his film specifically for where he is being drafted, not trying to build him up to be something that he's not. But dude, he's he was fun. He was fun for Tulane, and he helped turn that team around. And I like how you went to watch another player on that defense and found another one you fell in love with in Nick Anderson for the value. And I'll say this, if you're thinking about positions where you can find UDFAs who end up being big-time players in the NFL, linebacker, off-ball linebacker, certainly one of them, DJ Edwards, um, you know, there's plenty of examples. That was just the first that came to mind, DJ Edwards. But this is the position where you can do this in center. These are the positions where you can find undrafted guys who can potentially be starters at the NFL level for obvious reasons. But, you know, these are positions that are devalued by the NFL. You watched the USC Tulane game, right? Yes. For yeah. So, yeah, there was. Oh, did you only see the running back? No, I, only saw, I only saw the offense. Ah, okay. yeah, so he had a play in that game where it was like a, a halfback flare. And Nick Anderson was tasked. And I know he's not, again, like he's, he's a little bit undersized, but he's shot out of a cannon when he sees and diagnoses things. And he was shot out of a cannon to the flat to cut off the angle of the running back. And as Caleb Williams released the football and the running back goes to catch it, Nick Anderson is right there, just absolutely drives a running back into the ground for like a three yard loss. And just little plays like that to the mm-hmm. wide side of a few wide side of the field, mind you in college that I'm like, I get it. Maybe he doesn't have NFL traits. I understand that, but like he does have burst and explosiveness. And I feel like he can be successful as that undrafted free agent who actually cracks a 53 or just like one of those practice squad players that it's like, if, if one of your linebackers suffer an injury and he comes in, he might make a couple of those Taman Fox, like wow plays where you're like, dude, this guy has some freaking ball to him. Yeah. Bro. So I, that's, like I, I just, yeah, exactly. I like it. And maybe I will go back and watch that now because it'll just, in another way, it'll just give me an excuse to watch more Caleb Williams. And I love watching Caleb Williams and Drake may play football. So it'll be a fun time just to watch them play quarterback. And now you've got some exposure to Caleb. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get around to that next year. I'm going to force you to give some thoughts on Caleb and Drake may when we get to that class. I mean, maybe they fall off. I doubt it with these two. I think these two are just locked in, especially Caleb is just the most obvious Caleb to me, like Trevor Lawrence is a better prospect, I guess just because he has the frame and stuff and he's done it forever. And he has like, you know, the perfect, the perfect dude. He's six foot six. He was always supposed to be billed as this guy. And I love Trevor Lawrence. I talked, I talked a lot about that on FFT this year, but Caleb Williams has a lot of other traits that are super interesting to me that Lawrence doesn't even have. And I think Caleb Williams is a surefire as a Trevor Lawrence type prospect. And we'll see We'll see it next year as it plays if out. You, if you rewatch that game, watch number one on Tulane's defense. Okay. Okay, that's the guy to go. Okay, we'll do it. All right, that's it for today. These were players that 10 players that Nick was higher on the consensus mock board. But we're going to wrap up as we have been doing lately. One thing, too, on, one more thing on Anderson, too, just because I don't think we said this. He's ranked 485th on the consensus yeah. list. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not 485 players dra- drafted. So, yeah. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. Almost double, almost a half of that. Okay, let's wrap up with Dan Hughes, who has a mock draft for us to grade and and, and rank, or uh, to grade and analyze. 
Dan Hughes says, this is the best Giants pod. Thank you, Dan. He says, at 25 overall, Nolan Smith fell to me, and he's using the Pro Football Network mock simulator for what it's worth. Nolan Smith at 25. At 57, Jack Campbell, the linebacker at Iowa. At 89, Zach Charbonnet, the running back at UCLA. At 129, Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver at Ole Miss. And at 160, KJ Henry. I like it. I mean, that, obviously, all of our other picks were not made, but just for the top, you're really focusing on defense, which the Giants need. You get that running back at 89. This is a really deep running back class. I, I like the value with Charbonnet at 89 because he's definitely a player for me that would be ranked probably in the top 60. So I really like that value. Mingo, I feel like didn't have too much production at Ole Miss, but I, I like the traits that he shows. And I think there's definitely development there, especially for a day three pick. And KJ Henry, look, I've watched a lot of Clemson defense, but I never focused on KJ Henry. Yeah. And I keep seeing his name pop up. So I probably have to go back and watch a little bit more. I talk all day about Brezzy, Trenton Simpson, and Miles Murphy, but KJ Henry's one guy that like I just I, I don't feel comfortable talking about, even though I watched a decent amount of Clemson. That's fair. I mean, we should we should we should always note that. And I'll say this. I don't know if you gave a grade there. Did you give a grade there? Oh, grade. I'm going to give it a nice B plus. Okay. I think that's a fair grade. I think I might go a little higher. A minus for me. I really like Nolan Smith's upside as a pass rusher for the Giants. And then you kind of have a really nice rotation with him and Ojolari, potentially Thibodeau, if you want to mix him in. Jack Campbell at 57. I, I don't love Jack Campbell at 25 overall, but if you can get him at 57, I really like Jack Campbell at 57 overall. Him and Okereke now as your two linebackers. That to me is a really intriguing upside play there for the Giants. And at 89, you know I love Zach Charbonnet. Like Nick, he'd be a top 60 player for me for sure. I would love to have him on the field. You can you can leave him in any all downs if you need to. If Barkley gets hurt again and he could be your lead back, or you could just have him as a change of pace. Love that pick. Mingo is a player I've watched a little of Nick. I don't think I'm going to be as high on Mingo as a lot of people. A lot of people, at least on my Twitter sphere, especially in the fantasy side of things, are in love with Mingo and just look at the traits and feel like he's like, the, the lock guy like he's going to be like the clear best value everyone's sleeping on this guy he has like first round potential or not first round the draft to be drafted but like first round type of player potential grade type potential i i don't know if i see it with mingo i gotta watch more because i think there's a chance that i'm just not going to like him as much as everybody else does like i like tillman more than him watching him and i like wilson michael wilson oh, yeah. more than him as well um oh, those, yeah so i don't know we'll see and i haven't watched any of henry but Definitely an A minus for me because I love Campbell at 57 and I love Charbonnet at 89. And Nolan Smith at 25 is more than fine for me. And Dan, we also have one from Go Big Blue 2424 2424 2424. I'm not sure exactly how he wants that read, but he has four picks for us. And I really like this. And I know you and I would both be happy about the first two picks here. 25, Kalijah Kansi, pit defensive tackle. Now you got that penetrator, outlier, right? 57, Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback. Outlier, you know, I love Emmanuel Forbes. I don't personally care that these are two outliers right here because I think they both offer something very specific, very unique to your defense. And two things that the Giants really just didn't have last year. Yes, Dexter Lawrence is good enough to be a one gap penetrator in terms of his acceleration and stuff, but Elijah Cansey is like 150 pounds less than Dexter Lawrence. Not really, but you know, I'm obviously just joking around. But Kalijah Kansi can be that one gap penetrator, and you have him next to Dexter Lawrence. Man, you're talking about making people miss. 89 AT Perry, wide receiver. I believe on the consensus board, he is ranked specifically right now, directly at 89. Haven't watched this film yet. I've heard good things about him, but I'll reserve my judgment. And then 128, Ricky Stromberg, the center out of Arkansas. And at that point, if you're not going to go out there, John Michael Smith, Joe Tipman, Luke Whipler, the kid from Michigan. I'm okay with getting a Ricky Stromberg at 128 because I think he can be a functional starter in the NFL. I like this draft as well. What's the grade you're going to give this one? Oh, good A. Okay, an A. 
I like but, this draft. I, but I but I gotta like watch AT Perry. So like there's a okay. little bit of a caveat there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna give it an A as well. Um, I've watched a little of AT Perry, not much. AT Perry is intriguing. I like that he was dominant from a ball skill standpoint in the red zone with I think 30 touchdowns out of his career. What I don't like about AT Perry is again, I've been burned with these types of prospects a lot with the Brian Edwards build, like that. You know, they're big, they're dominant at the collegiate level, but once they get against NFL corners, they just don't look as dominant anymore. They can't be pressed, and there's just no separation anytime. So I worry about that. I worry about his age as well with A.T. Perry. Um, and I think that system, too, at Wake Forest is a little Fugazi as well, just the way they generate some of that production. So is it Fugazi? I always say Fugazi. I think it's Fugazi. I think that's why you like it. I always it. say Fugazi. Okay, that's I'm why not, you like it. I think I'm it is correcting you on, on your well, pronunciation. I mean, look, if there's anything to correct me on, there's a lot of things to correct me on. There's one thing for sure to correct me on. It's pronunciation of Italian-based slang. So I don't have the best track record with that. You actually don't somehow for yeah. 100% Italiano, but I'm <laughs> Tyzone. But um, yeah, with Perry, I, I don't know. I don't, I will see. I have to watch more of him, but it's the only pick I don't like. I mean, look, we did a what will we do mock draft a couple days ago. Um, and Nick took Manuel Forbes at 25. I took Elijah Kansi at 25 for the Giants. So now we get both <laughs> at 25 and 57. You can't knock the hustle there. That's as good as it gets. So, oh, yeah. And then, yeah, with Ricky Stromberg, I haven't watched much of Stromberg. I'll be honest with you, Nick. Once you get into that range of center in every draft class, I'm just not very enthused. Like, I hope it works out. I hope you find it. But I don't know. With center for me is such a weird position, Nick. I am I almost want to just, like, wait and get my Frank Ragno whenever that class comes and just, like, mm. take it. Or even, like, Tyler Inbound maybe last year if they could have traded back in. And I wasn't as high on him, and I think I was already proven wrong. I thought he might be a little undersized for the NFL, and he did not look at all that way. But, like, otherwise, when you start to go into this, like, round three, four, five projected range, I feel like you hit a ton of Hennessy's that are just, like, not ever making it at the NFL level. I don't even know if they're better than a Feliciano type at all anyway or any of these other dudes that you can just, like, take off the waiver wire and just find or somebody you can convert from another position. Like, I start to really work worry when you get to like the round three through five range in general at center i just don't i just don't see them translating that often in the nfl but i feel like i i feel like you would rather take your swing on a stromberg at 128 than take yeah. one of the top three at 25 for sure in that for, for that front but i would almost rather go see them go 57 than 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 that range if that makes sense so a or even like 89. Yeah, like a Tittman, or I think John Michael Schmitz has a shot to fall to 57. Maybe not that far. Maybe. But I think there's a pretty decent shot he falls to 57 personally. I mean, Creed I would Humphrey, be all over that personally. Yeah, and that, I'm good with that. Too. I've always said from the start, like when I said with John Michael Schmitz, I like John Michael Schmitz at 57. I don't like him at 25, but I do like him at 57. So if they take John Michael Schmitz at 57, great. They take Tittman at 57, great. Like anyone really in that range. And, and I'm not going to hate the Stromberg pick. I just think at that point, I don't know if it's a gamble. I don't know if center's position I would target at that point. I'd rather take a chance on like a Michael Wilson there. Someone who could be a difference maker for your team if he stays healthy. Or even like, I don't even know. I'd have to look at the board. But just somebody with more a little bit more upside to me. But again, this is me saying this, and I haven't gotten to Stromberg. So I don't really know what he is. And a lot of people love him. So he may be just as good a profile as Whipler, and I don't even know. And then in that case, I'm like, all right, well, then maybe I move him up. And I, and I consider this crazy value at that point. But then again, the NFL teams will probably catch on to that as well, right? I would imagine. Yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, that's all we have for today. A couple mocks reviewed and a overview of Nick's 10 guys and Nick's higher on the consensus board. Thank you so much for tuning in the Big Blue Bander podcast. Those of you who have said, and you're correct, I should be promoting this at the beginning of the shows. I keep forgetting, and I will next show, hopefully. But 
please help us grow by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. If you leave a rating and review on iTunes, in the review, you can post your mock draft, and we will read that here and grade it and analyze it like we just did with those two. Otherwise, please help us grow by subscribing to our YouTube page. We're now over 3.2K. We've been growing there, which is cool. There's been steady growth. I think a lot of it's been organic, but we need more than that. We need to try to get to 10K there on the subscribers for YouTube. <laughs> so make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like any video you watch as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.